0: Welcome to the Energy Transition Podcast. My name is Ronan Kavanagh, Deputy Editor of EI New Energy, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Philippe Roos, Senior Reporter and Analyst with Energy Intelligence, to discuss some of the details and implications of BP's recent green pivot. Now, when BP declared in February that they were going to be a net zero company, this created a lot of headlines, and now they've revealed much anticipated details about how it'll work. But Philippe... This has echoes of um, Beyond Petroleum campaign of 20 years ago. Is it all that different?
1: Well, yes, I think this time around it's probably different uh, because BP's focus is is now more on concrete plans uh, and less on just branding and image. Uh, BP has set a goal for all its operations to be net zero uh, by 2050 on an absolute basis, and I by, by that we mean scope one, two, and three, meaning their own operations, scope, the so-called scope one and two, and also the emissions caused by the use of their products by customers, such as you and I. Uh, so they, they 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 want to be net zero by 2050. Uh, but that's quite comparable to what the other comp, the other European of oil companies have announced. BP is also aiming to increase tenfold its annual low carbon spending from the from a, about 500 million dollars last year to between 3 and 4 billion by 2025 and around 5 billion by 2030 which is quite significant because it means that within 5 years BP expects more than 20% of its capex to be spent in low carbon businesses and that's notably uh, renewable electricity, because uh, another target that BP has announced is they want to have around 50 gigawatts, 55 uh, of renewable capacity by 2030. That's, a, that's 20 times more than the current 2.5 gigawatt, uh, which they had uh, last year. And it's also more than what any renewable generator has today. So that's quite a lot of renewable capacity.
0: Indeed. I mean, Shell, Total, any Repsol as well, I mean, they're all talking about taking on more net zero generation. I mean, but how different are BP's plans for, for, from them? And what's the significance of that?
1: Yeah, I, I, as I just said, the 2050 goals are, are quite comparable across uh, European oil companies. The difference uh, with BP is that uh, they have plans for sizable cuts. I mean, they have plans for renewable generation and so on, but they also have plans for sizable cuts in oil and gas production by 2030, which goes a lot further than what uh, the other companies have said. Uh, Because if you have a broad ambition to reach net zero by 2050, that leaves you plenty of time for a slow start and then a later acceleration by 2035, 2040 or, or, or whatever. But 2030 is a, is a deadline just a decade away, which for capital intensive industries such as oil and gas or, or power uh, is tomorrow. So it creates a real sense of urgency and it requires uh, radical decisions and, and, and uh, sizable investment today.
0: But will this be enough, do you think, to, to please the environmental activists? Or will they continue to say that BP and its peers are not doing enough to, to meet the Paris goals?
1: Well, they pro- they'll probably say it's not enough, and, and they're probably right, uh, as a matter of fact. But I think BP BP's plan confirms, and that's very important, that uh, European oil companies now consider degrees or below two degrees uh, global warming as a base case scenario, uh, which is a huge change for just from just a couple of years ago. The days when they were saying that such a scenario of two degrees or 1.5 degrees is of course desirable but unrealistic and uh, and you have to deal with the real world and and so on and so forth. These days are over, uh, and European companies actually are now working proactively to make that scenario, that two-degree or below two-degree scenario, real. And they are changing their business accordingly.
0: And it's interesting that BP is also talking more now about overall emissions. I mean, what will this entail?
1: Yeah, that's that's common to all the the European companies. It means that they they not only want to cut uh, the emissions from the company's operations, the so-called scope one and two emissions, but also... uh, Emit third party emissions from the use of their products by, by customers by, as I said, by you and I and, and other customers, the so-called scope free emissions. And quite interestingly, BP. After Shell, after Total, uh, they insist that they will need to partner with customers and the society in general to achieve full scope free decarbonization. Uh, Total said they will focus on fully decarbonizing in Europe. Shell is more focusing on sectors. And BP said they want to partner with 10 to 15 cities across the world and to free core industries uh involves decarbonisation decarbonization efforts they haven't said which cities and which industries they are targeting but that's i mean that, that's quite interesting and it, and it's a common uh, pattern uh, with as i said total and, and shell that everything needs to be everyone need to be on board to decarbonize.
0: But, but won't ultimately lowering scope 3 emissions mean getting rid of fossil fuels i mean what happens then to oil production
1: uh Getting rid at some point, but at the very least, uh, reducing uh, demand and reducing production quite substantially. Uh, BP said it will reduce uh, oil and gas production by forty percent uh, by 2030. That's one point one million barrels of oil equivalent per day. So they 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 say they will go from the current two point six million barrels per day to one point five. By 2030, that's that's quite a quite a dramatic cut. Uh, other companies in Europe have suggested cuts were coming, but remained uh, quite vague on timelines and numbers. So BP is far more explicit, and it, it probably means that pressure will mount on other companies to also give more detailed and explicit numbers uh, and, 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 and a timeline. Uh, BP also said they won't explore for oil and gas in countries where they are not currently active. Uh, And the intention is for the remaining oil and gas portfolio to be more cost and carbon resilient by by 2030, Uh, at which point BP aims that scope one and two emissions from its own operations will be lower by 30 to 35% and uh, by 35 to 40% when scope-free emissions from the use of products soils are also included.
0: So how will BP go about achieving these reductions in oil and gas production?
1: Well, this will be achieved in two stages uh, and involves natural field decline. That's between 5 and 10% per year. So that's, I mean, if you just sit on your on your current production and don't don't add anything your production will automatically decrease by by between 5 and 10%. So for BP the first stage for from 2020 to 2025 approximately we'll see more or less flat production as new major projects come on stream so there will be new projects on the one hand decline on the other end which will result in stable production and then by the second half of the decade the underlying production declines will start to occur this trend is actually quite comparable to what other companies such as total or eni in italy have been saying but as i already said bp is, is far more explicit and gave numbers about that so other companies will need to, to give the same kind of, of details in the very soon.
0: Indeed. I mean, and it's not just oil. I mean, gas is on notice too. So what does this mean for this often touted coming age of gas?
1: Well, for now, European oil companies still expect to grow or at least to maintain their gas production over the next two to three decades. So that's quite different from the... Sharp decline. They're expecting for their for their oil production, but they also seem less convinced that gas is a so-called destination fuel. That which means that they just a couple of years ago they were expecting a a a coming age of gas Uh, that will probably never happen. Natural gas probably has a a role and a substantial role to play in in sectors such as intermittency management in the power sector or in fueling heavy ve- vehicles in transport whether it's heavy trucks or ships but it's it will not be the the dominant fuel of the future and and I, I, it reminds me of what people were thinking or saying about nuclear energy in the 70s or, or 1970s or 1980s where where many people were expecting nuclear to be the energy of the future it was in fast fast growing uh and it's no longer growing. Uh, it still has a significant market share in global power generation, but it's 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 not the power of the the the, the energy of the future. And it's quite likely that the same will happen for gas. we Will keep a substantial market share, but it won't be the dominant fuel in the future and at any time in the in the future.
0: Now, looking to the future and new energy sources, I mean BP is following Shell, Total, kind of in seeking pivotal role in alternative energy. I mean, how how are they looking to do this? Well, they
1: they have big targets. Uh, BP is aiming at uh, fifty gigawatts, as I said, five zero by twenty thirty. Uh, that's twice as much as Total's target for twenty twenty five, and it's more or less what ENI in Italy is targeting. Uh, by 2050, uh, so whether it's 25 or 50 or 55, as as, as ENI is targeting, that's quite a lot of, of uh, renewable capacity. But what's interesting is that if you try to model how uh, oil companies' emissions target translate in uh, in, uh, in renewable capacity, you you realize that there's a zero missing, so it shouldn't be. 20, 30, 40, 50 gigawatts, but it should be a few hundred gigawatt that they should achieve by 2050 to 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 deliver the the emissions and the carbon intensity targets they've been announcing. So that's that's a huge amount of renewable renewable electricity. That's far more than what any established utility or power developer has. Do oil companies really have the skills for that? Do re- they really have the finance for that? And I mean, I don't know. It's quite possible. What I feel is that they cannot do it without a ma- major acquisitions in the electric power universe. For me, it's quite difficult to, to imagine uh, how else oil companies could deliver their, their huge green targets and huge renewable targets other than by acquiring uh, major utilities. And that's, that, that's, that, that should happen soon because uh, the clock is ticking. Uh Oil companies are very rich, are still very rich, but it might not last uh, that long with uh, declining oil production, with permanently low uh, oil prices. So, so, so now, I mean, when I say now, the next five years or so is the time for them to take uh, dramatic decisions.
0: Indeed, and I mean, all of these changes are going to make BP kind of. I suppose they want to be a lot fitter and probably leaner, and maybe a smaller company over time. But but looking at the industry more broadly, I mean, is this the end of the old business models?
1: Yes, most probably. And these these are very interesting times, tough times. And uh, with the coronavirus crisis, uh, it, it's posing questions, serious questions about the future of oil and gas demand. We might many people say we might have reached peak oil and gas demand already. Uh, and And European oil majors seem to be responding by fundamentally and permanently uh, reshaping their business models the The first half of twenty twenty actually seems to to mark a turning point in how they look and act in the future and and even the u s majors uh which continue to focus on to focus more on core hydrocarbon operations they they were forced to take take these changes into account as uh, as they slashed investments, for example, to support dividends. So they they might also very soon come with uh, announcements in terms of uh, emissions targets, renewable uh, investment and so on, which which were unthinkable just, just six months ago
0: and how will this change the composition of portfolios uh, well
1: high cost and high carbon oil seems to have little place in that uh, in that picture even among majors such as the US companies that still embrace uh, hydrocarbon centric future uh, the fear of stranded assets uh, meaning unproducible uh, reserves is now tangible and frontier exploration to into Deep offshore, Arctic, uh, oil and gas will will fade over time in favor of prospects near existing infrastructure, in existing production where where new production can come to market quickly, cleanly and cheaply. Mega projects uh, will probably give way to smaller, faster uh, projects for all but the most attractive reservoirs. Uh, Also, interest in traditional refining will probably diminish alongside upstream volumes as companies recalibrate uh, their integrated models. It won't be easy, uh, but as I said, the coronavirus uh, crisis has forced majors to act urgently, and they are starting to act urgently. And the massive write downs in portfolio we've seen uh, recently uh, will become more and more common as the reality sets in that uh, not all reserves uh, will, will find a market. Some of them will be stranded.
0: So what might the big oil or big energy majors look like in the future then?
1: Uh, well, strategies among European majors uh, are not uniform, but they do share some characteristics. They have a enth- great emphasis on gas and LNG, which will be increasingly integrated with power, with battery storage, uh, with hydrogen. Uh, meanwhile, big oil U.S. majors will continue to play on short cycle tight oil when where spending can rise and fall uh, alongside oil prices. Uh, majors are <coughs> sorry. Majors are also increasingly embracing asset-light businesses such as trading or even power generation itself, which can be made asset-light if you highly leverage your projects with uh, external uh, investors. Uh, But under both models, the big energy and the big oil models, companies seem likely to become smaller with reduced staff, with lower production, and with diminished payouts to shareholders.
0: And speaking of shareholders, one last question. I mean, how do investors view this shape shifting?
1: Well, quite interestingly, BP's share price jumped after announcing its strategies a couple of weeks ago, even though it did not only cut its dividends, but it also said it will no longer consistently increase the dividends, which normally should have led to a to a to a, to a drop in prices. But no, it didn't happen. Perhaps. Perhaps investors were relieved uh, as they feared it would go further in shopping payouts like Shell, ENI, or Equinor did. But they also perhaps see BP now as a, as a more sustainable company with a more credible uh, future. And, and, uh, and maybe they believe that that's, that was actually the, the, the thing to do uh, for BP to, to, to survive in the long term. Uh Investors are also more likely to demand similar shorter term targets across the industry, which should accelerate the pace of change significantly. And beyond Europe, it's probably no longer a question of whether oil, US oil companies and even the national oil companies are likely to follow suit. But it's probably a question of when they will do so.
0: So certainly plenty to watch out for in in the coming months. I mean, and BP as well will be revealing more detail on their strategy at their um, capital markets presentation in September. So, Philip, thank you very much for sharing those insights with us. Thank you. And thank you to everyone who listened to us today. And I hope you'll join us again for our next Energy Transition podcast. Thanks for listening to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. Please check back
1: with us soon for our latest content, which you can find at energyintel.com.